0: Okay, good morning, everybody. It's a privilege for me to be able to continue our series in Exodus. Um, I just want to say from myself and I know from my wife, we love you, Kirsten. We're so grateful for what Kirsten does for our youth and serving the youth team. We love Sam. Um, but I have got a question. Does everyone else say uh, at the minute? Is that like a, a, a Suffolk thing or a Norfolk thing? Because I say from the South, I say at the moment. Who says at the moment? Who says at the minute? Okay, so just, it's, I think you're pretty, it's only a few. Is it, are you from Norfolk at the minute? No? Well, Kirsten's from Norfolk, but we'll forgive her that. Um, she, she's definitely worthy of our, our, our respect and our praise. So uh, I'm going to carry on in our Exodus series and our third message. And uh, Exodus is, uh, is such a treasured book. I absolutely love uh, Exodus, as I've um, actually been sort of uh, um, counseled through Exodus over the years, uh, to see that it is such a helpful illustration for us of the God of salvation, the God of redemption, the God who uh, frees and redeems a people, who brings people out of slavery. And uh, as us, uh, as, as believers here who have been brought out of slavery, um, from sin and death, we know that uh, this is our story. And so we've got so much to learn from uh, the Exodus about what the God of redemption, the God of salvation looks like. And in today's um, passage, he even says, uh, I haven't really revealed myself as the God of salvation up until now. Uh, I haven't really revealed, but, but now you're going to learn that about me. And uh, uh, it means departure, so uh, we 've gone th- so it 's the second book in the Bible, Genesis being the first being the beginnings of creation and and, and god 's uh, setting the scene, and then Exodus being this story of how he brings people out there 's a departure from slavery and so uh, we 're just in the third section of the uh, first uh, mes- third message, excuse me of that, and so far we 've seen things like this: God has preserved. Moses's life, supernaturally, miraculously, uh, after Pharaoh had attempted to have the male uh, Hebrew babies murdered, uh, Moses uh, was, was preserved. And actually, he was even then miraculously raised in the royal uh, household. He would have had uh, great opulence around him. He would have had great wealth around him, great education. This man who... Uh, in Pharaoh's desire was supposed to have been killed. Was actually raised in Pharaoh's household and given a wonderful uh, upbringing and uh, and life uh, in his early life. Even by the hands of his own mother, his mother was able to do that in the royal household. Just incredible picture of God's sovereignty there. And uh, and then what happened was that uh, he, as we heard, he he saw one of the Hebrews being uh, beaten by uh, an Egyptian, and he went and intervened and ended up killing the Egyptian. And, uh, and as he realized, people know this has happened, I need to flee, he fled to the wilderness. So this, this young man who had this great uh, upbringing in wealth and prosperity now found himself in the wilderness as a shepherd. And uh, for decades and decades had to live this life of um, understanding he's being humbled and God is taking things out of him and helping him to understand uh, there are things that you've been used to that you have to die to. And, uh, and then he comes to this point that we heard last week where he's in the wilderness and he encounters the living God. He encounters Yahweh, who says to him, I am that I am. He encounters a bush, as we've even heard today, Kirsten sharing, a bush that is burning uh, but not being consumed. And even in that picture, there is an illustration of this God who is, who's, who's other he's not like any other not like any other he's like fire but completely unlike fire right what but what fire is there that doesn't consume he's he's saying look i'm like i'm unlike any other i am that i am i'm not you know the whole point is yes god will reveal himself as the god of this action the god of these people but first of all and fundamentally he wants moses to know i'm not really like anything I'm not like any other. I am that I am. A fire that doesn't consume, unlike any other. Another thing about a fire that doesn't consume is it displays something of God is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Think about it. If it was consuming the bush at some point, it would go out. It's consumed. It's done. No, He's not. He's from everlasting to everlasting never, never done and 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 thirdly, he is completely self sufficient he doesn 't need fuel to burn I'm self-sufficient. i 'm self sufficient I am that I am, and at the beginning of this journey, Moses needs to understand, as Moses said, "Who shall I say has sent me because God says to him, "You must go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go who 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 am I and as we 've heard today, and as we 've heard in previous weeks. God says, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. Okay, but who shall I say has sent me? I am that I am. You must understand before anything that I am the God who is not God in relation to people. You don't know me as God in relation to those people. Or God in relation to that action. Or God in relation to that thing. First of all, fundamentally, I am set apart. I am that I am. To know God it is of first importance to know I cannot understand him apart from what he reveals about himself. I cannot fill holes myself and think, oh, he's a bit like that. Oh, he's like that. He's, he's, no, he is that he is. He's not simple. He's not understood in a moment. Oh, I get it. He's like, no, no, it takes... Eternity to understand more and more and to unwrap new understandings of this God. He is not like any other thing. He's not like any other person. He's not simple. He's not like any other philosophy. You can't say, Oh, he's a he's a bit like rationalism or hedonism. You know, he's a bit like relativism. If you think this way, this no, no, I am the I am. Drop all of that, drop it. Don't come to me with He's like, no, no, I'm not like. I am that I am. He's not like any other religion. You may say, oh, Christianity, this God of the Christians is a bit like Buddhism. He's like, it's a bit like, um, you know, if you give, then you get. No, No, I am, get this, I am that I am. I'm not like any other. I'm not like any other God. That comes up through this whole book. I am not like any other God. I'm not like any other king. As Pharaoh would say, I'm God of Egypt. No, there's one God. And you are nothing like me, and I'm nothing like you. He's not like any other power. You might read through this book and see things in the Old Testament that are hard for a 21st century eyes to read, to think, this God seems to kill lots of people. In the Old Testament, he brings down judgment and justice, and that's hard for us to read. And you might think, he's like Genghis Khan. No, no, I am that I am. I'm not like. I'm not like. You must lay that down. Lay down attempts attempt to understand him in relation to other things. I'm not like any other. He's like a fire, but not like a fire at all. And the great I Am has seen his people's sufferings, we see. He's seen the sufferings of these slaves at the total mercy of this harsh taskmaster. He heard their cries, and he has called Moses, who is very fearful and very timid, to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the known world, and bring these people out of slavery. And understandably, Moses has reservations about this. I can't. Me, who am I? Pharaoh won't listen. The people won't listen. And God promises him the elders will listen. The people will listen to you. Pharaoh won't let you go. So God says, Pharaoh won't let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. I will move my mighty hand. God promises him, I will act. And then after that, he will let you go. And not only that, but you will plunder the Egyptians. Not only will you go, you won't go out through the back door. You will go through the front door. And you will have provision, gold, silver. You will have ability to plunder the Egyptians on your way out. It's incredible. So eventually, Moses relents and starts to obey God. And the last verse of chapter 4, where we finished last week, after Moses had told the Israelites that God had heard them and promised to rescue them. So Moses did go. He told them. And the last verse, NIV, says this. And they believed. And they believed. Any believers in here? We believe. We've got a rescuer. We've got a rescuer. He's going to bring us out. We're going to have freedom. It's over. 400 years of slavery. And they believe. Hope has come. Freedom has come. Salvation has come. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them... The God of heaven and earth is concerned about me. Amen? Amen. He's concerned about you. Hallelujah. It's incredible. The God of heaven and earth is concerned about me. And have seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. That's all we've got to do, isn't it? This God who is the God of rescue. I believe. He's concerned about me. He knows about me, my difficulties, and he's a rescuer. I've got to worship him. I worship him. I believe him. So they're ready. Freedom is here at last. Rescue is here. Heaven beckons. Salvation is here. And Egypt had better watch out. Egypt had better watch out. God is here. Let's just pray, and then I'm going to read what happens. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. I pray, give us ears to hear and faith to listen. Faith to submit to the truth this morning. I pray, heal this morning, hearts and souls. Help us to stand in the freedom that you've won for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So freedom is here. Let's read what happens next, chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, Uh, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens? The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, And pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters, taskmasters were urgent, saying, "'Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw.'" And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, "'Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past?' Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out to the Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge because of you've made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For this? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Yay. <laughs> Salvation. Fantastic. Rubbish. Absolute devastation. Absolutely devastated. Hopes raised to be dashed comfort given to be ripped away and mocked this is not okay this is not heaven this is hell this isn't life this is death pharaoh was incensed who do you think you're speaking to how dare you there's only one god in egypt it's me Pharaoh is God. How dare you suggest that I should surrender to any other, let alone even listen to another? And Pharaoh is even more enraged when he sees it looks like they started to listen to this news because he said they're starting to rest. They're starting to believe this. They're starting to think that there's some truth to this. Do you know that there is nothing Satan hates more than people believing God's word. I think there's nothing more that Satan hates than people believing God, people who begin to rest in his salvation, people who begin to stand in salvation, who hope in Yahweh and expect him to act. Satan hates it more than anything. You believe him. I've got to kill this. Do you know that? Do you know how seriously he takes that? I think more than anything, he hates God's words being believed. What does Pharaoh say? Get back to your burdens. Satan says that all the time. You feel that? Some of you feel, yeah, I know. I feel it often. Satan is always saying over believers, get back to your burdens. Don't you dare get your hopes up. Don't you dare believe. Don't you dare listen to God. Sit back down. And Pharaoh says, Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. He wants to undermine at any cost that there's any truth to this. There's no truth to this. You're mine. I own you. You're slaves. That's all you're going to be. These are lying words. Don't you dare start to believe. Don't you dare start to hope. Don't rest. Don't stand up. Satan is determined to undermine God's word. Absolutely consumed with it. Hell-bent on blinding people to truth and causing believers to doubt and disregard God's word. Absolutely determined that we would question his word, question his sovereignty, doubt that he is true. This is Satan's number one tactic because there is nothing more threatening to Satan than believers who pay close regard to God's word. Don't pay any regard to these lies, is what Pharaoh was saying. Satan is threatened by believers who pay close regard to God's word. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. This is his language, Jesus said. This is how he speaks. It's his language. His everyday vernacular is lies. It's his currency. It's what he deals in, lies. It's his accent. It just comes out. It's his weapon. Lies, lies. He is the father of lies. It always has been his ploy to pull people away from the word of Yahweh. Don't you dare listen to him, Satan says. He wants nothing more than to undermine God's words and to have you believing lies. In Eden, Eden, at the beginning, it was how the fool came about. It was how sin entered the world, that the deceiver came to mankind and mankind believed the deceiver rather than believing god did he really say don't believe god he wants you to not be like him and undermine the word of god did he really say and how effective is pharaoh's reaction of vengeance how effective was it let's think about it how what did it do what was the outcome as we read through well the people are scattered Scattered throughout the land of Egypt. They are absolutely devastated. They are completely overwhelmed. They are utterly perplexed. What is going on? What's going on? Salvation? This is the kindness of God? I am in so much pain. I, I cannot move. I am completely At the mercy of this horrible, horrible Pharaoh. I am broken. He has given us impossible work. It was hard before. It's impossible now. This is the kindness of God. They are so confused and so dismayed. They are so hurting, disappointed. And author Mike Wilkerson says in his book Redemption, he says this, one of the ways that Egypt displayed its glory was by its towering architecture. The 60-foot walls that encircled the cities, as well as the homes and public buildings that filled them, were made of bricks. One pharaoh's tomb required some 24.5 million bricks. A skilled brickmaker working at top speed could make at most 3,000 bricks in a single day, but he rarely met his quota. And standing over him all the while was a taskmaster threatening, the rod is in my hand, do not be idle. And an Egyptian writing describes the brickmaker. It says this, he is dirtier than vines or pigs from treading under his mud. His clothes are stiff with clay. His leather belt is going to ruin. Entering into the wind, he is miserable. His sides ache. Since he must be outside in a treacherous wind, his arms are destroyed with technical work. What he eats is the bread of his fingers, and he washes himself only once a season. He is simply wretched through and through. Wow, what a salvation. Thanks God, this is great kindness to us. This crippling work, degrading, all-consuming. In response, the gutted Israelites have cursed Moses and Aaron and told them God should judge them. God judge you. You have made us stink to the Pharaoh. You've put a sword in their hands to kill us. This is death. This is not life. This isn't freedom. This is worse slavery than ever before. God judge you. they completely lost hope. They've completely lost belief in God's promise. And then Moses turns to God and accuses him of doing evil. So in answer to how effective is Pharaoh's retribution, very. He's quick to put a stop, isn't he? Quick to put a stop to this. Perhaps you've had experiences of discouragement that completely disarmed you. Dispiriting, so dispiriting, so confusing. Where's this... Come from. This is not what I expected. This is not what was promised to me. This is not what I thought this would look like. I don't understand this. I don't like it. This is not how I would do things. And I'm not being flippant. It's painful. But many of you have been through things that I have never been through. It's just, how is this the kindness of God to me? Some of you know what I'm talking about all too much. It's not theoretical for you. Circumstances have hit you hard and unexpected. Breakup, marital unfaithfulness, job struggles again and again, loneliness, serious health problems, serious health diagnoses, a death in the family, ongoing depression, ongoing anxiety. And this isn't what you expected the goodness of God to look like. And whether you have done it consciously or not, what happens is it causes you to question God's faithfulness. Is he really who he says he is? Is he really good? I question his goodness. I question his sovereignty. Is he really in control? Is he really in control? How could he possibly be in control when things have got so bad? This is so painful. This is evil. This is wrong. God, you've done evil. Sometimes disappointment and pain comes because something has been terribly painful as a result of obeying God. Moses was obeying God, doing what he said. It got worse. How is that right? God, I thought you said if we, if we follow you, things would get better. Perhaps you know that yourself. You've tried to obey God and as a result, a relationship ended. Or you were ridiculed. Or you lost a job, or worse. Is this the kindness of God? I was following you. I was trying to obey you. Or maybe it's because you've decided to follow Jesus that your friends have turned on you, or even your family. God, I thought this was new life. It doesn't seem like I would have expected it to be. The question here is, where do you take that? Where do you take those questions? Where do you take that disappointment? What do you do with that? Because we see three different things in the text here. First of all, the people go back to Pharaoh. They try to reason with the issue. They try to go back to the one that they think has the, the power to change things. They go back to him and say, this is not possible. We can't do that. We can't do, what have you done? Why have you done this to us? They try to deal with the issue by reasoning with the issue. Who does that? We all do that. It's not a bad thing to to do, to try and think, well, this is a difficult issue. I want to see if I can change the issue. But they stop there. They leave it there. They, They try to deal with the issue. They go back to Pharaoh. Do you tend to do that? Maybe even going to the source of your oppression, trying to control it. So if you're somebody who's anxious about your health, maybe your answer is, if I can get a grip on it, if I can control it, then I'll be all right. That's not freedom, though, is it? Because you're going to the source of your oppression to try and sort it out. Or well, perhaps you're uh, like the second thing that happens here. The people grumble against Moses and Aaron. They blame others. Their anger, in their anger and in their confusion, all they can do is just blame. They never should have done this. You've made it much worse. And perhaps you've got bitterness and resentment in you, because they never should have said that. They never should have done that. I've never really recovered from the way I was treated by them. And, and, and in your heart is a, is, a, is, a, is a difficulty with somebody else. It's so easy to stew on bitterness, isn't it? And stew on anger and just to blame others. And, and if we don't deal with it well, often we internalize it. That turns to depression, turns to anger. I don't know how to deal with this. I'm so angry and there's no resolution. I don't know what to do. The people cried out against Moses and Aaron. But Moses cried out to God. That's the third thing. Moses cried out to God. He went with honest confusion. He even brought an accusation to God. and God was gracious to him. God answered him. God listened to him and God answered him. He spoke to him again. And Moses, it's a lesson for us here. Moses listened to God's answer. Moses was humble enough to listen. The Bible's full of lamentations. The people of God not saying, we've just got to carry on, pretend it's all okay. You know, walking through, getting beaten left and right. No, it's full. There's a book called Lamentations in the Bible. Psalms, the most common category of Psalm is Lamentations. Where over and over, David and other psalmists would say, why God? Why? Why have you let this happen? This is so painful. This is not fair. This is not what I thought you would be like. And beautifully, again and again and again, we see, most often, there are some psalms that finish like that. Just finish like that. And that can be a comfort to us. It's in the Bible. Sometimes I don't know why. I'm just angry. I'm just going to shout at you, God. It's the right place to take it. But most often, the psalm has an arc that goes through, but you are like this. But you are faithful. But you have promised. You have said, I will hold on to you. So where we take our pain is so important. Lamenting is not a common practice for many believers. It's so biblical. Take your pain, your sorrow, your confusion, and anger to God. And then as Moses did, listen. I took it to God, but he didn't give me my answer that I wanted that's not the point. He's, he's, I am. I am the I am. I, are you going to come and listen? I've got answers. I will help you, but I am. I'm not like others. Come and listen to me. Moses listens to God. And Jesus is so clear, and he says, all who are weary, weak, and burdened. Go back to your burdens. All who are burdened, come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's the only one that can actually restore. The only one that can actually bring back the hope, the belief. The Israelites, sadly, the Hebrews have sadly completely lost. We'll read in a moment. They've lost all hope. Moses comes back to and they can't even hear him anymore. They're broken, spirited. They can't hear him anymore. Jesus is the one who can actually restore belief, restore hope by reminding you of who he is. Disappointment with God is, 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 is a heart that says, it's not what I would have done. It's not the way I expected. It's not the, it doesn't seem fair. And this is God, God's answer, I know. Come to me. But it hurt so much. It was so painful. I know. Come. Come to me. It wasn't fair. It made no sense. I don't understand. Yeah, come. Come near to me. Come to me, as we've heard in the worship time. I am nearer to you than you understand. Disappointment with God... It is. This is not the way I would have done it. It's not the way I expected it. And perhaps to go a bit deeper is my will be done. My will be done. So Pharaoh's reaction is very effective. But I want to say this is very effective from earth's perspective. But the Bible is written to give us heaven's perspective. The Bible is written to help us to understand God and to rightly see, and to rightly see ourselves. You see, this seemingly devastating retribution from Pharaoh may be excruciatingly painful. We're not going to overlook it. We're not going to say, oh, come on, God's faithful, just get on with it. No, it is excruciatingly painful. It does not change, though, what God has said. It doesn't change a thing when it comes to God's decree. It seems to have been so powerful and so effective. In one eye's, heaven's perspective is pathetic. It is pathetic. Pharaoh's retribution is like trying to blow out a roaring forest fire as if it was a birthday candle. You really think you've got any hope? Do you not understand? Yahweh has spoken. Yahweh has spoken. It's happening. They are free. God's word is final. The Hebrews are free. You are right, Pharaoh. There is only one God in Egypt, and it's not you. Pharaoh, you don't understand. Jeremiah 23, God says this, My words are fire. I love that. My words are fire. And Psalm 33 says this: "By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God speaks, that's the end of it. That's the end of it. But what I see in front of my face, yeah, I understand. It's so hard. But I'm going through this, yeah, I understand. It's so painful. He understands. But he has spoken. He has spoken. So when, when Moses comes to him and says, why have you done this evil? God doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry that I got it wrong. I'm really sorry. Let me just, let's try another avenue. What does God do? He he just reiterates what he'd already promised. We look at chapter 6. It says this, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, as God Almighty. But by my name the Lord, okay, so that's the Saviour, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Nothing has changed. I am faithful. This is going to happen as I said it would happen. Nothing's changed. And verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. What was in front of their eyes was too much. They They couldn't separate themselves from it. But God reminded them of who he is and what he had promised already. He didn't offer a new, less painful plan. He didn't apologize for how how things had become worse. He reassured them with the same words he had already spoken. I have spoken. I have spoken. God's word is fire. A man cannot change his words. Satan cannot affect his words. Circumstances do not alter his words. That is a hard one for us and you think i never thought it would be like this i didn't think following god and you know life in all its fullness pleasures forevermore i didn't think it would look like a divorce i didn't think it would look like cancer i didn't think it would look like that and yet his word is fire we need to be suspicious about our doubts It's so easy to be doubting, but we need to be practicing. I need to be suspicious about my doubts. If God's word says something and your answer is yes, yeah, but, then you need to work it through to yes and amen. Yes and amen. I don't understand, but your ways are not my ways. I don't understand, but you're the great I am. You're eternal from everlasting to everlasting. I'm not. I don't understand why you would let this happen, but I don't understand lots of things. You're the author of life. I don't understand, and it's painful. So where it's yes, sort of, or yes, but not really, you need to understand that there's demonic lies being listened to. I would go so far as saying that. If you say, yeah, but you know we've got to temper this with that, Satan's voice is getting in there, saying, don't believe these lies. No, God's word is final. God's word is true. He is faithful. It doesn't have to be the way that we thought it would be for it to be true. It's true. If you're saying yes, sort of, yes, but not really, there's actually a sense where we need to say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't taken you at your word. Sometimes we meet resistance or if, if we're more conscious of this, you know, if we hold on to what God says here, then, then we'll lose people. People won't like it. We'll offend people. If we're more aware of that than we are of holding on to the truth of God's word, we need to think about what Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. He said, how long are you going to go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Don't say a bit of this, a bit of that. If, God's word, if God is God, follow him. His word is faithful and true. His word is fire. And one of, pharaoh's, one of the pharaohs of today that is trying to undermine God's sovereignty is this voice of offense. Like Pharaoh, people say in their heart, I'm God. I'm God. Why, why should I listen to him? Why, who do you think you are telling me what this God wants? Why should I listen to anybody else? And as believers, we want to be winsome, don't we? We want to be kind. We want to be generous, kind-hearted towards people. And it can sometimes cause us to let go of God's voice and retreat in fear. Oh, I don't want to offend. Sorry. Yeah, let's just let's bring your lies in as well. No, no, if God said it, it's, he's spoken. Has he spoken or hasn't he? Moses said to God, Pharaoh didn't listen. Pharaoh didn't listen, God. He, he didn't relent. He didn't retreat. He didn't let us go. Things got worse. And yet, God had spoken. God had spoken. And in the midst of this, God has plans that we don't understand and some that he has helped us to see. Ephesians 4, it's clear that God says his desire is for us to grow not just to be free, but to grow. He's taking, us, he's taking ownership of us as his children. And your children, you don't just want to be free. You want them to grow. You want them to grow into maturity so that things don't knock them around. So they're not still subject to horrible taskmasters and horrible lies. You want them to grow strong. You want their roots to go deep, to know who they are, to know where they stand. God is not just freeing you. He's making you something. He's making you new. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, who says this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. That's a good perspective, isn't it? That's true. Ouch. Yeah, I'm at work. I'm at work because I love you. I'm bringing things into you that are more precious than gold, more precious than comfort. I want to bring into you the image of my son. You may have heard the, the name of Johnny Erickson, uh, a wonderful uh, Bible teacher. And at the age of 17, she broke her neck in a diving accident. 17 years old. And her spinal cord was severed, and she became paralyzed from the shoulders down. And now she's 73 years old. And she's been incredibly helpful, a voice, when it comes to Christians and suffering. And she says this, God is more concerned with conforming me to the likeness of his son than leaving me in my comfort zones. God is more interested in inward qualities than outward circumstances. Things like refining my faith, humbling my heart, cleaning up my thought life, and strengthening my character. That's hard to take. But she's someone who knows. This isn't someone who broke a nail. This is someone who has been paralyzed from the neck down since she was 17. And she also says this, I'd rather be in this wheelchair knowing God than on my feet without him. This perspective of heaven that God says, "Come, Come to me, come to me. Let me help your perspective and understand that I am faithful to my word. I'm true to who I say I am. When Jesus was taken, remember Jesus is taken as he's about to go to his death and um, have this, this trial. Uh, the disciples were scattered. Remember we read Egyptians, sorry, the Hebrews were scattered. And this moment of what? What? Jesus has been taken, our hope. The one that we've been following for three years that we thought was the way. We thought he was everything. We thought salvation has come. We believed and we worshipped. He's gone. He's been taken. And one of his disciples, Peter, was so discouraged that he denied Jesus. So discouraged that he couldn't hear hope anymore. Like when Moses went back to the people, their spirits were broken. Peter's spirit was broken. He, he, he denied Jesus. In terrible fear, in devastation, incredibly perplexed, overwhelmed with disappointment like the Hebrews, Peter denied God, I don't know him. I don't know him. Have you ever done that? Do you feel like you've done that? And Maybe you're still doing that in areas of your life where you feel like, that disappointment, I don't know him. I don't get him. I don't, I don't trust him. I can't trust him with that. You've let circumstances that are so difficult actually separate you from the faithfulness of God. I hold them in two different categories. I don't get it. If this has happened, how can he also be faithful? I don't understand. How can he also love me if he lets this sort of thing happen? How can his word be true if he lets this happen? I don't believe. I deny him. Maybe you don't understand that's what you've done, but if you, know, you think about it, you think, yeah, I think I've done that. I think I still do do that in places in my life. See, Jesus had told them what would happen. He told Peter, I will be taken, I will be killed. We know Peter heard him because Peter said, look, if you're going, I will go with you. He wasn't like, oh, I wasn't listening. No, Peter was clear listening. If you go to your death, I'm going to my death with you. He was about his job. He knew what he was doing. And, and Jesus went to his death. But as we know, God, God vindicated him. He was risen again in victory the 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 victor the conqueror over sin and death and after jesus had been resurrected and uh, completely vindicated proven true reminded them of this truth complete authority like like god would do with the israelites yeah you might look like there's a might look like, it might look like we are defeated you wait and see there's a victory coming and Jesus, it looked like he'd been defeated, but a victory was coming. And, and Jesus uh, appeared to the disciples a few times. And after a few days of, just, of, of um, kind of, I'd love to think of the scene. He would appeared to them a few times, and I think Peter just probably kept himself a little bit to the side. Just ashamed feel that sometimes when you think, I'll just, I'll just stay away from God. I'm so ashamed of the way I've denied him. So ashamed of what I've... I haven't believed who he is. Who he says he is. And, and Jesus comes to Peter. This is this is the kindness of, of our God. Jesus broaches. Imagine Peter looking at his feet. Just awkward. Just... I don't want to look in your eyes. The, the the victor of heaven, the conqueror of sin and death. And I it just took me two minutes and I thought, no, I can't. I've been following you for three years. You've shown yourself faithful in every turn. And then something happened. I couldn't understand it. I didn't get it. I couldn't understand. I couldn't believe. I couldn't hold on. And I'm sorry, I didn't get it. I didn't trust. But you are other. You're not like any other. You are. I am that I am. I should have remembered. I shouldn't try to make you do things my way or expect you to do things which make sense to me. And perhaps you are remembering that today and thinking, God, I think I've really brought accusations to you and said that you failed me when actually I just have been arrogant. I've just lost belief. And it's been hard. There's been reasons for it, but you're still faithful. You're bigger. Pharaoh might look big, you're bigger. It's been hard. The whips on my back hurt, but you are bigger. That didn't stop your plan. And Jesus comes over, and when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Wow. I haven't given up on you, Peter. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. Then he said the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. I know that now. I'd forgotten that. I denied that. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus. Jesus hadn't denied Peter. Peter had failed, but Jesus is a king of grace. He's a God of grace, and he reinstated him. Perhaps you think, God, I really have. I just, I treated your word as if it was just any other word. The things that you've said over me, I I, I thought, yeah, there's that and then there's this. And I weighed it up. But your word is unlike any other word, and you just feel today, I'm sorry. I've failed you. I've denied you. Look at this. Jesus is a God of reinstating, redemption, forgiveness. And he's able to reinstate, able to fully and lastingly forgive because he completely paid regard to God's word. He is the one that never doubted God's word had never turned from it, never weighed it up, never said yes, but... Yes, I'm not sure. Sometimes I believe. No, completely followed the word of God, completely trusted Yahweh fully, even when the pain was unbearable. Even when it was, I would rather do it another way. Is there any other way? And yet, not my will, but yours be done. Even to death, even in death. Even in death. And as he did, he was able to completely destroy the oppressor. Pharaoh was put to death. The oppressor, sin and death, was killed as Jesus triumphed at the cross. As Jesus broke free from the grave and declared, It's finished. It's done. I've dealt with it. He made a way out of slavery. He defeated death. And he took us with him. He carried us with him. So for believers in Christ Jesus, there's a reason for us to rest. The the Hebrews started to rest. There is a reason for us to rest. And when the accuser comes and says, get back to your burdens, there's a reason. There's an answer for us to say, no, it's finished. It's dealt with. I am free. God's word prevails. God's word is fire. You might have pathetic little words, but it's like blowing into a forest fire. You've got no power here. You've got no say here. God has spoken. And you may say, yeah, you can, you can respond to the oppressor. Even in the face of disappointment, God remains completely trustworthy as the one who has already delivered life, as the one who's already delivered salvation, whose word is more faithful than the rising sun in the morning. Circumstances are hard. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. There are things that were never God's desire. But because He loves us and wanted to give us free will, He had to let things happen that were not His desire. Disappointment is difficult. It's not trivial. I'm not trivializing it today at all. If you're going through pain, I understand in part, God understands much more than I do what you're going through. It's very painful, but He is faithful. And he would say to you today, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. In Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's how he did it. But look at all this right in front of your eyes. No, I'm seeing him who's invisible. I'm consumed by him who's invisible that's how I can walk. That's how I can stand. He started to see him who is invisible. He started to gain heaven's perspective. And Second Corinthians 4 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, and this is Paul who's been shipwrecked several times, beaten, tortured, bitten by snakes, He calls it light, momentary affliction. Heaven's perspective is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Joni Erickson says, I want to stay in the habit of glancing at my problems and gazing at my Lord. Life's hard. Let's glance at the difficulties, but gaze at Him. Amen. Could we just stand and pray for us? I think we've got time for a song. I'm sure Kirsten can come and uh, tell us anything she needs to tell us. But uh, Father, we just want to ask your help. Life's hard. There are disappointments, and Satan would have us sit back down. Satan would have us reburdened with from things that you've freed us from. Satan would. Would have us compromise. Satan would have us question your, your word. But God, we just we, many of us may need today to repent, say, "God, I, I'm sorry, I've squandered your word, but repentance leads to freedom, because Jesus reinstates. Jesus forgives. So Father, I pray today, if there are people that say, "God, I do, I need to stand back up and trust you." It might be in little areas of my life. It might be it's affected your whole life. But uh, Father, I pray this morning that you would help, help us to be a church and say we're determined. We're determined to see him, to trust him, and to humble ourselves from saying it should be my way. Lord, I really do ask you to help us to walk forward, trusting you, knowing your guidance and uh, your heavenly perspective. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.